All right. Good morning. I want to welcome you to Mount Olive. So glad you're here. Uh, that was good already this morning, and I love what Sky shared and just uh, her heart for our community and that we get to partner along uh, with her. And I just want to invite us as a church to, to do that and you individually as you feel God's prompting in that. Well, if you're brand new with us, we've been in a series for one week. So it's good time you came, you know, we haven't been too far into it. A series entitled Stronghold. Uh, undoubtedly, if you've lived, you know, any length of time, you know that there will inevitably, you cannot escape it, there will be trouble in this world. There will be trouble in your life. There will be challenges and there will be resistance to your life. And uh, the question of this series that we brought up last week was this. In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your life, as you do life in this often troublesome world, and I know there's good things too, but undoubtedly we're going to face some trials. Uh, as you do life, when you face those trials or as you journey through life, who do you go to or where do you run for your stronghold? What is it that you turn to? And in this series, we've been, I've invited us to memorize nine words written by the psalmist David, King David, in Psalm 63, verse 8. And we did it last week, so I know you already memorized these nine words, right? So we're not even going to, you're just going to say it right now, right? We're going to, no, okay, I'll put the words up on the screen. But we're going to say it out loud to get together. Uh, and if you're at home or watching online or, in, you know, listening to podcasts in the car, just try and go along with us, okay? So let's say it out loud together. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. That was deadly. Like in a good way, that was good. Let's do it one more time, okay? Out loud together. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. As I mentioned last week, there's two main concepts in this short little verse. The first four words are our responsibility. It's a call of the psalmist for him. I cling to you. This is the cry of his heart. This is a call as we come alongside him in faith. Say, God, it is you that we cling to. This is our responsibility. But the second part of the verse is actually what God does, isn't it? It's your right hand that upholds me. And undoubtedly in this life, as we continue to cling on to God, and there's gonna be moments when we feel like our faith is maybe we're hanging on by a thread. There's like, God, I don't know if I've got anything left. Isn't it amazing that in those moments, all throughout, it is God's hand that upholds us? It's the power of his might, not the strength of ours. But there is a responsibility on us to continually go to God and hang on to cling to him. Well, as you know, last week, we looked at two groups of people that struggled to cling to God. Today, we're gonna look at another two groups of people that struggled to cling to God. Next week, we're gonna look at what it is that God does as he upholds us. So as we did last week, there's two groups of people that struggle to hang on or to cling to God. And last week, we looked at the two groups of the young and the old. Young people and old people, there is a temptation for the young and the old to cling to God. And what's interesting, although it kind of comes in nuanced ways, the root problem is the same. It's the temptation of pride. And both for the young and the old, there is a temptation to say, I know better, but for different reasons. And you can listen to that or go back uh, if you missed it last week. Well, today I want to look at two more groups of people that struggle to cling to God. And it's the rich and the poor. And if you're anything like me, you're just going to relate to both groups of people and the challenge to hang on to God. And undoubtedly, as we do life, there are moments where we feel 
rich. Maybe that's financially, maybe that's relationally, maybe that's in a, in a different you know, area of life, but there's moments when things just seem to be going well. And then there's undoubtedly moments when we feel impoverished, whether it's relationally, whether it's uh, financially. And there's, things just aren't going well. And so regardless, we probably will relate to both sides uh, of, of both rich and poor. So what is it about the rich and the poor that struggle to cling to God? Well, the writer of Proverbs lets us in on the challenge for the rich and the poor. And, and for, for the uh, old and the young, the challenge, the temptation was pride. For the rich and the poor, the temptation that we face, it's the same, but it shows up differently again. The temptation is misplaced trust. So if you have your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter 30, starting in verse 8. And the writer of Proverbs kind of anticipates this challenge and he kind of speaks some wisdom into the challenge that we face. Rich and poor to cling to God. He says this, starting in verse 8. He says, give me, speaking to God, God, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. In essence, the writer of Proverbs says, I don't want to be out on the outside there's danger on the outside of riches or poverty. Just kind of put me in the middle. Now, the question I asked right away is, well, how much is enough? And when would we ever know if we have enough, right? Because there's seasons in my life where I'm like, God, I think like this much would be enough. And then other seasons, I'm like, I could probably do on this. And other seasons, I'm like, Lord, I need at least this much to have enough, right? So like, it's kind of relative to like how we're doing. So like, what is enough? I think what the writer's getting at is this idea of contentment. God, give me what I need to survive. And beyond that, give me this heart of contentment to where I am at. And he kind of calls this, this, this call out, uh, keep me from the edges, the edges, the, 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 the outer edges of poverty and riches, because there is a temptation that I'm gonna fall into undoubtedly as I get to those edges. And here's the edges. He starts with prosperity. He says, otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Notice the challenge for the rich to be those who cling to God. The challenge is this, abundance often leads us to independence. Abundance often leads us to say, I didn't actually need God for that. I'm pretty good on my own, misplaced trust. But likewise, those who are in poverty are tempted to misplace their trust as well. Listen what he says to those who are poor. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Notice the temptation to misplace trust for the poor. See, both the poor and the rich are looking at provision. The rich are on the backside of provision. God has already provided for them. And there's a temptation to misplace trust in themselves. Say, look, I didn't need God after all. Where the poor are on the front side of provision. God hasn't shown up to provide yet. And the temptation is to misplace trust and take measures into your own hands and say, I don't know if God's gonna come through, so I, it's, it's all up to me to do it. And we misplace trust and say, it's up to me. And we, 
The poor are tempted to steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. So let's talk about the poor for a second, then we'll end with the rich. You know, for the poor, they are tempted to trust in themselves, taking measures into their own hands rather than trusting God. See, for the poor, you're on the, on the front end of provision. God hasn't come through yet. And when you're on the front end of provision, there is a temptation to say, I don't know if God's gonna provide. And so it's up to me. And we step into things that God never intended us to do. Now, I don't know where you're at right now. And for some of you, you're in the depths of financial poverty. And it's day to day. And you're not sure week to week, how am I going to put food on the table? I want to tell you, you're in a very, very difficult time. And you, you don't need to know. I want you to understand. I understand that this must be an unbelievably difficult time to cling to God. And you may even think, well, pastor, it's easy for you to say, well, just cling to the Lord. But I wanna invite you, even in your poverty, as you are waiting for God's provision, to follow the example of Jesus, and we're gonna see it later, as he faced difficulty. Would you cling to God in your poverty? And maybe for some of you, there's areas in your life that you're waiting for God to come through. You're on the front end of provision. And maybe it's financial, maybe it's a different area. But in what areas right now are you tempted, as you wait for God's provision, are you tempted to take measures into your own hands? And maybe for some of you that is stealing, Maybe for some of you, it's dishonesty or lying, evading what you know you need to pay because you're not sure if God's gonna come through, so you're just taking measures into your own hands. The writer of Proverbs says, the temptation is to do that and dishonor the name of the Lord. So what would it look like, practically speaking, and I, I'm a practical guy, so if I'm gonna cling to God, and not take measures into my own hand. What would it look like to practically cling to God as it relates to finances? Even when, it, especially when I feel like I don't have enough. You know, it's interesting. One of the first things to go when our bank account shrinks, for almost all of us, one of the first things to go is generosity. And this is gonna be a challenge. I know it's always a little bit sketchy when a pastor starts talking about tithing. But I wanna talk about generosity. And I wanna kind of do some myth busters as it relates to tithing and God and the church. See, tithing is not primarily about what God needs or what the church needs. I want you to understand that. Tithing is not primarily about what God needs. In fact, God doesn't need any money. So it has nothing to do with what God needs. God doesn't need your money. God, I think, is pretty wealthy on his own. He could figure it out if you didn't give any money for the rest of your life. God is in, not in need of our money. And just so you know, the church was God's idea. So if he is the leader of the church and he doesn't need money, I bet the church could figure it out. 
Because God would figure it out if you and I stopped giving. It's not primarily. Now, is it helpful? Of course it is. Is it a peace? Of course it is. But it is not primarily about the church. Tithing is primarily about your heart. Because if God is after anything, it's not your wallet. God is after your heart. But here's something God knows about you. Often where your wallet is is where your heart is. And often where your heart is, your wallet goes. And God is so interested about your heart that as he calls us to cling to him, one of the ways that we cling to him, practically speaking, every day, it's not just this philosophical thing like I'm clinging to God. It's a practical, feel, physical thing we do is to come and to give of the first fruits of what God has given us. It's a practical way of saying, God, I am not taking measures into my own hands. I'm on the front side of provision, but as you have given me something, I'm gonna off the top, off the front end, I'm gonna give you a portion of it because I cling to you. In fact, this was so important that God, through the prophet Malachi, when the nation of Israel stopped tithing, he actually called it stealing. <laughs> He's not like, you're not tithing. He said, you're actually stealing. This is what he says. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask me, how are we robbing you, God? And God says, in tithes and offerings. And again, God didn't need their tithes, did he? He didn't need the physical money. He said, you're holding back your heart, the very essence of who you are. And it shows up in how you're generous with your money. You know, tithing is much like many of the other spiritual disciplines we do. They don't make us right with God, but they lead us in our heart toward God. It's like reading your Bible, it forms our heart. When we pray and fast, it forms our heart. When we give out of our physical money, it forms our heart. It's a physical thing we do that says, God, I cling to you. You're the one who provides. So the writer of Proverbs says, don't lead me to poverty because there's a temptation to take measures into my own hands. It's gonna lead me to steal, maybe even stealing from God. And so dishonor the name of the Lord. The poor are tempted to trust in themselves, taking measures into their own hands rather than trusting God. So what is a tithe? In the Old Testament, it was 10%. That's where they started. In the New Testament, we're not given a percentage. And we're New Testament kind of people under the new covenant. And so uh, for us, it's, it's really kind of better and worse than the Old Testament because in the New Testament, it just says give cheerfully, generously. So there's no limits like, oh man, that could be five, 10, 30. So start somewhere. Say, God, the first that comes in before I buy the shoes, before I give to the college, before I, before I pay for my rent at the top, at the front end, I trust in you. I cling to you with my finances, especially when things get tight because I want to honor you. You know, 
There's a temptation I kind of fell to the other day. Um, Al was talking to me about a guy he knew that gave $5 million a year. And I had this thought, maybe you've had this thought, God, I would love the privilege to be able to give $5 million a year. God, would you entrust me with that privilege, right? And here's the temptation. We have this idea when things are tight. You know, God, once when you provide for me more, then I'll give. When I'm wealthy, then I'll give. But here's the reality. If you're not willing to give five bucks when you make 50, or 50 when you make 500, or 500 when you make 5,000, there is no chance you're giving five million when you make 50. If you have not been faithful with a few things, I'd highly doubt you and I will be faithful with much. So the challenge for us in our poverty, when we feel like we're on the front end of provision, God, I cling to you. And let's just see, and it's interesting, as you read on in Malachi, God says, test me in this and just see if my right hand won't uphold you. If I can, if I won't take care of you, I will. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. So that's the poor. What about the rich? I'll say this about the rich. Possibly the only thing harder than clinging to God in your poverty is clinging to God in your prosperity. Let me say that again. Possibly the only thing harder than clinging to God in poverty is clinging to God in prosperity. It is difficult, difficult, difficult. And here's what the writer of Proverbs says. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? The temptation for those who have been given a lot, who are on the backside of God's provision is to put their trust in themselves. So who are the rich? There was a study done in 2022, the World Inequality Report, and supposedly, according to the report, if you made more than $4,000 in the calendar year of 2021, you are among the top 50% of income generators in the entire world. So I don't know who the rich are, but I have a guess there's a lot of us in this room. Because if you work for $23 an hour for 40 hours a week, you make $4,000 in a month, never mind a year. And I know it's more expensive to live in Canada than some other place in the world, but undoubtedly we are among the prosperous, most of us. And the challenge for us is what would it look like to cling to God and not to place trust in ourselves? And here's the temptation for the rich. They're tempted to trust themselves taking credit for their prosperity rather than praising God. And I want us to look through this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter eight. And the, the, uh, God anticipated this challenge of taking credit and rather than praising God, we just say, well, look what my hands have done. And he saw this, this coming for the nation of Israel. They have just come out of poverty. They were born in slavery, 400 years in slavery. They're in between the time of poverty and prosperity. They're on their way to the promised land. And God gives them this command as they are in the in-between time saying, hey, we're looking ahead. Prosperity's coming. Here's how he gives two very important how-tos to hang on to and 
cling to God in the midst of our prosperity. And this is so important for us in North America. Here's what he says, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse one. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, God says to the nation, so that you may live and increase and may enter the, uh, and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. So he says, be careful to follow, meaning make sure you're living out Psalm 63, verse eight, I cling to you. How are we gonna follow? How are we gonna cling to the Lord? He says the first one in the next word of the next verse. Remember, remember, if you're gonna cling to God and you keep forgetting, you're gonna stop clinging to God. In your prosperity, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. See, to follow God into the future, you will need to remember God's presence in your past. And when you forget, undoubtedly, you're gonna stop holding and clinging on to your Father in heaven. So how did God come through in the past? Well, the writer keeps going. So remember, how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years and the in-between time to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Do you know what God's all about? Your heart. And he tested and he humbled them to see what, what are their true colors, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. In fact, the word manna was, what is it? Because it showed up and God provided for them and they didn't know what it was. They're like, we're just gonna name it, what is it? We're eating, what is it tonight? Some of you are gonna do that tonight, right? You're like, we don't know. We're just gonna eat, what is it? We're just gonna put it all together and see. This is what God did. And he provided for them. Now, why would God have done this? He says, here's why, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And this is an important moment and an important aspect of living in poverty. When you are on the front side of provision, there is a temptation to say, all I need right now in my life, God, is provision. And what God was teaching the nation of Israel is there is something more important than provision. What you need when you're on the front side of provision is not provision. What you need most is the provider. And it's interesting as Jesus faced his poverty, impoverishment physically, and he was 40 days and 40 nights without any food, the tempter came to tempt him and guess what the tempter tempted him with? Will you take measures into your own hands? You know, Jesus, there's some rocks here and you could make them into bread. And guess what Jesus quoted to the tempter? This exact passage. Man does not live on bread alone. And in the moment where Jesus was needing provision, he said, there's something more than provision that I need. I need the provider. To follow God into the future, you're gonna to need to remember God's presence in the past. And God did this so that they would remember what you need most in your life is the provider. So how did God provide? Here's how, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then that in, in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Discipline not as punishment, 
or condemnation, but as a way to draw you to the Father, to teach you to follow him. Observe the commands and hang on to the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering his name. For the Lord your God is about to, right? You're on your way to prosperity, is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks. He, he kind of gives the prosperity, right? It's amazing. Brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey. There's a lot. He goes on. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. You will be on the other side of provision. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. There is natural resources to make you wealthy. And when you have eaten and are satisfied. Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not, and there it is again, remember. Don't forget what the Lord, the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you, are, you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, this sounds like Canada. And when your herds and flocks and large are lar grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, you are wealthy, 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 then your heart will become proud and you will forget. Notice that? The temptation of pro prosperity is always forgetfulness. You will forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. And he goes on and says, he led you through, the, remember? He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. Another story of God's provision when the uh, people needed water. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, right? What is it? To humble and test you so that in the end it may go well with you. You may say to yourself, and this is interesting, on the other side of provision, self-talk begins to happen. And the self-talk is this, my power and my strength or the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Who's taking credit? It's exactly what the writer of Proverbs says. But remember, there it is again, remember, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Remember your father in heaven, because even the things your hands have done are why? Because you have a father in heaven who gave you the hands to do it. Did you decide which country you'd be born in? The opportunities you'd be given? Did you decide the health you'd be given? No, it comes from your father in heaven. So don't forget, remember him. He is the one who gives you everything. See, if the poor are tempted to trust in themselves, taking measures into their own hands as they stand on the front end of provision rather than trusting God, the rich are also tempted to, to trust themselves. But on the backside of provision, they're tempted to take the credit for the prosperity rather than praising God. And God gives two significant things, how-tos to live clinging to God in the midst of wealth. And the first one is remember. I don't know if you caught the second one. It's found in verse 10. It's so significant. He says this in verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you're full, you're prosperous, 
The next word, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The first thing we are called to do in prosperity is remember. The second thing, to praise. Remember to praise. And here's why praise is so, so, so important. Because gratitude always pushes against the pride of entitlement and the pride of independence. See, entitlement says, I earned this and I deserve this. And every time you are grateful to someone or thankful to someone in your act of gratefulness and thankfulness, guess who you're acknowledging? Someone. That pushes against I deserve or I earned this because Thanksgiving in essence says thank you, you brought something to me that I did not earn and I do not deserve. That's what gratefulness does. And gratefulness always pushes against independence because independence says, I did this on my own and I don't need anyone. But the moment you are grateful to someone, you're saying, thank you for what you did, which I could not do on my own. I needed you, which is why for me, and maybe this is true of you, it's hard for me to accept gifts because it is an act of humility to say, thank you because there's this kind of independent thing in me that says, I'm gonna do it on my own. And yet when we are grateful and thankful to God, when we praise him in that action of remembering to praise, we are declaring, God, I need you. And I could not do it on my own. I cling to you. And it's your hand that upholds me. Thank you. So I wanna give you a challenge. If you're on the backside of provision and all of us in some area of our life are, here's the challenge I wanna give. We've done this before in our church, but it's called the seven and seven. For the next seven days, Every night as you sit down to eat, maybe it's with friends, maybe it's roommates, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your siblings, maybe it's by yourself. But every night as you sit down to eat, I want you to practice seven and seven, which is seven things you are grateful for and thankful for to God. Where you declare, God, I needed you, I didn't earn it or deserve it, but I am thankful for it. And this will be your act in your wealth on the backside of provision of saying, God, I cling to you. Thank you. I wanna remember what you've done and I cling to you. So seven and seven, but here's the challenge within the challenge. Every day as you get to a new seven, make it a new seven. So at the end of the week, you've thought of 49 things that you are grateful for, that you did not earn and do not deserve. And even the things you did earn by your own hands, you declare, God, you gave me the ability because it all comes from you. I want to encourage you to live a grateful and thankful life as you in your wealth continue to cling to your Father in heaven. See, the poor are tempted to trust in themselves, taking measures into their own hands rather than trusting in God. But the rich likewise are tempted to trust in themselves, taking credit for their prosperity rather than praising God. 
I said earlier that maybe the only thing harder than trusting God in poverty is trusting God in prosperity. And Jesus seemed to hint at this when a rich man came to him. And after the conversation, Jesus said to his disciples, how hard it is, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you know why it's so hard for the rich? Because you cannot please God with independence. The only way, Hebrews 11 says, that we can please God is to come with, to him in faith, not bringing all that we've done in our own works, but coming to him saying, here's what you have done, and I cling to you and what you have done because it's your right hand that upholds me. How hard it is for those who will not say, God, it all comes from you. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know in what areas of life you're facing poverty or impoverishment. You're on the front side of provision. What would it look like for you when you think things are tight to still live generously, declaring practically, God, I cling to you. You're the one. What I need most is not provision. God, what I need most is the provider. And if you're on the backside of provision, to live with a grateful, thankful spirit, praising your Father in heaven. So wherever you're at, would you declare with me and let's say it out loud together. As you think of the areas of need and the areas of prosperity, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Father, that is our heart's desire. And I know for some of us, we're on the front end and oh, it's so hard right now. And we feel like your timing's not fast enough. And we wonder, are you actually gonna come through? I don't see your hand yet, Father. Are you gonna come through? And we're tempted to put our hand into the mix and take measures to our own hands. And Father, would you teach us what patience looks like? What it looks like to declare with Jesus that man does not live on bread alone. We need you first and foremost. And I can't imagine how hard that is for some right now, but Father, would you give us the strength? And for Father, for those of us who live on the backside of your provision, we have such a great temptation and it's so subtle we don't notice it. But Father, may we be those who cling to you and continually remember what you have done praising your name. God, we can't do that on our own. We need you. Would you help us cling to you? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.